Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello, it is great to be with you. Today, we are talking about caretaking as spiritual practice, and I am grateful to introduce our guest, Nikki Nelson. Nikki is the Director of Spiritual Guidance Initiatives with the Sienta Center in Racine, Wisconsin. So Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Christina. I'm just really excited to be here and to see how this conversation unfolds. Same, very much so. We are using the term caretakers broadly in our conversation today. So this can include aunts and uncles, teachers, principals, parents, grandparents, basically anyone caring for others on a regular basis. And so I wonder, Nikki, just to start us off, can you tell us what drew you to this idea of caretaking as a spiritual practice? Yeah, thank you, Christina. In this conversation, we will be defining caretakers broadly, and much of what I have to share is transferable across the roles in which you may be caring for others. And the context I will be speaking from personally is in my experience as parents. So I just want to name that in case that gets a little more emphasis than the other caretaking roles. But I think to answer that question, I need to tell a story. I have two boys and I really delight in them. And I'm really confident that the joys and the challenges that we experience together are building relationships of trust and authenticity and resilience, but it wasn't always that way. And in the first couple of years in this new identity of mom and this caretaking role was extremely challenging for me. The intensity of it, the exhaustion of it, the physicality of it, and just the change in identity, which I didn't really understand at the time, but I felt in my body. And I was a full-time caretaker, a stay-at-home mom. And while I could recognize the privilege inherent in the ability to do that, it wasn't entirely freely chosen on my part. And I found myself full of resentment and despair. And I felt overwhelmed and trapped. And honestly, I would have as many meltdowns and tantrums in a day as my toddlers did. And I felt like I was just winging it and like I was failing miserably. And that was really uncomfortable for me. And then One day I was cleaning the kitchen and my boys were like four and two and they were coloring just around the corner in the living room. And I hear some giggling and I smile. Oh, they're getting along. (laughs) And then they started to like laugh. And I was like, okay, like I better check on this. Right. And I find my two-year-old coloring on the wall, just totally delighted with himself. And needless to say, I was less than delighted. In fact, I lost it. Like we're talking heart pounding, hand shaking, armpit sweating, full on fight or flight mode. And so I like swept him and picked him up way too rough and was yelling and threatening and took him to his room and set him down on his bed. And as I was coming out of the room and shutting the door behind me rather hard, might I add, (laughs) I caught a glimpse of his face and the fear and the shame that was on it. And I wish I could say that I like that his face stopped me in my tracks and brought me back to myself. And I turned it around and I scooped him up and I comforted him and apologized for the way that I acted. But that's not what happened. 
And it wasn't until I was laying in bed finally at night uh, that his face returned to my mind. And I was the one who was feeling the shame and the fear and what had happened to me. Like Coloring on the wall is not that big of a deal or a big deal at all, really. And is developmentally appropriate for a two-year-old to explore in that way? Like, why did I lose it? And as I was lying there feeling guilty and confused and really fearful of the intensity of my own anger, I realized that my reaction was so disproportionate to the act of coloring on the wall because I wasn't actually reacting to the coloring on the wall. Something much deeper within me had been triggered And that's what I was reacting to. And it dawned on me that if I could develop the awareness to recognize in real time that I was being triggered and have the inner spaciousness to set that aside for a moment so that I could actually be present and respond to the circumstances in front of me, then I could transform my relationship with my boys. And I could bring so much more compassion and love and presence into my daily life with them. And if I truly then also did circle back and tend to what had been triggered in me, then I'm also becoming a more centered, more loving, more whole person. And that's when it hit me, this paradigm shifting insight where that parenting and caretaking for others is this spiritual practice. And what I mean by that is that in a very particular way, our relationships with those who are dear to us and children in our care offer us this sort of daily crucible in which we come to know where our areas of growth are, as well as provide us the context in which to do that growth, just a new way of being in relationship with each other. Yeah. And through these caretaking relationships, we're invited to become more present, more self-aware, more compassionate individuals. And in the process, really transform our relationship with those we care for into the very foundation of their flourishing as well. And so that's sort of where it all started for me. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I feel like I relate to it. I'm sure so many others will relate to it and I can easily translate it to what does that look like when I'm caretaking for someone who is ill, you know, when you're sitting with someone who's having all of these struggles and you're feeling tired and exhausted and overwhelmed. And what does it look like when I am in a position like a principal or a manager caring for people? So it's so relatable. And I feel like, and now I know there's so much journey that happened from that point. Cause you started at, I take so much delight in having my children And then we took it all the way back to a moment that felt a lot less than delight. And so as you've been on that journey, what sorts of things have been happening? What what are you learning in the midst of it? Oh, so much, Christina. Um, I think that I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about myself, obviously. Like I'm really learning what are those parts of me that need to be tended to, need to be healed. I'm learning a lot about self-compassion. I'm learning a lot about the qualities of love and sort of the self-giving part of it. I'm learning a lot about the world, right? That there are all these interior barriers to me loving freely, but there are also all of these exterior barriers to me loving freely. And, and those matter too, right? How do we tend to those things as well? And even 
just to, to your point, Christina, like the versatility of this, right? Like my husband is a middle school math teacher. And so much of what we talk about within the context of parenting helps him in the classroom as well. And he finds that it's actually easier to put some of these practices and these skills into practice in his classroom where he's like less emotionally involved than he sometimes finds at home with his own children. But I think that when wherever we are in these caretaking roles, like paying attention and being attentive to those moments of intense emotions can be a really um, important signal to us to pay attention. Thank you for sharing. That's great. I know, Nikki, that you also have a connection with Ignatian spirituality. And I just wanted to ask you in what ways has that informed the way that you engage with your own spirituality and how you walk alongside others? Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, great question. So at the risk of oversimplifying what is a very deep and rich lineage, what I find most meaningful and helpful from Ignatian spirituality is what is called spiritual freedom or interior freedom. And in Jesuit circles, this is often talked about as both a freedom from and a freedom for. And let's first talk about the freedom for. When you experience this kind of spiritual interior freedom, we are more fully able to respond generously to the invitations of quote unquote, God's call, which for me is always an invitation to greater love, greater compassion, community, justice. But we all have these numerous preoccupations that get in our way of living into that. Fear, shame, prejudices, greed, the need to control, perfectionism, excessive self-doubt, resentment, the pursuit of pleasures, like you name it, right? <laughs> We're all familiar with these things in our own life. And these tendencies get in our way. They distort our perceptions. They shape our reactions. They create barriers for us in loving others, in loving ourselves, and in fully participating in the divine mystery. And so the spiritual life then is about becoming increasingly aware of those places in us, noticing where we have become excessively attached to people, places, things, titles, accolades, and tending and healing and finding freedom from those places within ourselves that shape these preoccupations and these tendencies so that we have more freedom for choosing connection, love, compassion, justice, and the concrete particularities of our lives. And so this concept of interior freedom is directly connected to my understanding of caretaking as a spiritual practice, because we are told, especially with children, and we think that we have power over or control over our kids or the kid children in our care. And when they resist that control, or when we come up to the limits of that control, we're invited to notice and confront what that elicits within ourselves and what needs to be tended to. What do we need freedom from um, so that we can be more free with these children grounded in ourselves so that we are more fully able to recognize and honor who they are. Yeah, I really appreciate the language that we're using today because I think often when we're in conversations around caretaking, it's what's the logistics, the administration, the mental load that it takes, the financial responsibilities, even emotional. I think we get into that. But then diving into spiritual, I feel is 
bottom of the conversation, if ever, part of the conversation. And I think what I'm hearing from you today, Nikki, is just this invitation to our own, that it's not even the spiritual lives of our children and their thriving, but our like the starting place being our own sense of where am I at spiritually and how am I tending to the inner world of my limits and the freedom to and from and et cetera that you're talking about. Um, also, just maybe one piece of the Ignatian spirituality that's been really helpful in my caretaking is the prayer of examine, where we're at the end of the day recognizing where did I feel that presence of God, that consolation, those moments, and also where was the desolation and recognizing that that is just as important to notice the desolation moments to your story earlier, that those can be just so profound in our walks. And so I wonder if that's it all been part of your spiritual practice of the examine prayer and or also as you're with others. And maybe the spiritual aspect is, again, one that's not often talked about. The other ones just seem so loud in our caretaking roles. If there's some things that you have found helpful to maybe elevate that spiritual aspect of the conversation. Yes. From Ignatian spirituality, the examine prayer is just foundational to the charism of that spirituality. And also, I think, to this concept of interior freedom and this move to self-knowledge that it's often talked about as the daily examine, but also, but Jesuits themselves are often asked to do it many times a day. And so I think that it has been part of my formal practice and has become more and more ingrained as just an informal practice of constant self-monitoring and and reflection. Sort of part of the Ignatian pedagogy is like you have an experience and you reflect on it and you integrate it and then you have a new experience, right? And so this constant self-reflection on what is, okay, what's happening within me? What am I noticing? What's arising? Creating that spaciousness so that we are not then reacting, but actually having the freedom, right, to choose how we want to respond in that moment. And I'm human, right? Like I am in no way, shape or form an expert at this, right? I'm not having as many meltdowns and tantrums in the day as I was <laughs> years ago, but through these formal and informal practices like the examine amongst many other forms of contemplative prayer that are out there, you can develop the neural pathways, which allow you to move from your parasympathetic, your fight or flight mode, your sympathetic nervous system into your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest mode faster, right? You, these practices develop the neural pathways so that when you do get triggered, you can then find yourself into this place of calm and connection faster. So I think that cultivating presence through contemplative practices is a really essential starting point for thinking about parenting, caretaking, caregiving as a spiritual practice, because it's only through that inner spaciousness that we then have the opportunity to choose how to respond. Yeah, I appreciate that. I find myself mid, like, mid-sentence with the children or mid-yelling and it's, oh, wait a minute, I can pivot in this moment. And the first half of that sentence was awful or those two sentences, but I can pivot in the moment. And I know, Christina Kaiser, that idea of the parasympathetic sympathetic is something that you've really leaned into as well with your practices. Oh, goodness. Yes. I just recently was talking about the spiritual gift of grace, which is kind of the same. Like, so even as we're talking, I think in that moment, when I talked about grace as having a spiritual practice, I talked about having safe containers to rage, right? And loving kindness type prayers. Do you have, what types of rituals are you using in order to make this a spiritual practice experience? Yeah. Thank you, Christina. I think that any 
one who's in a caretaking role where the other has unlimited access to you, whether that's caring for someone in your home, particularly more so than caring for someone at, you know, in a school or a more professional sense. Um, I start a spiritual practice and within a week, the schedules have shifted or the family has adjusted and I no longer have (laughs) that same kind of capacity. So for me, it's fluid, but certainly uh, I would say things that I've done, contemplative practices such as centering prayer, the Ignatian examen, just like breathing, just breath work in the moment. Sometimes I will find myself like just, so I also have a foundation in the Dharmic traditions and yoga and will just find myself doing tree pose because you have to be so present, so focused on the present to actually maintain your balance that it just brings me into the present moment. And then I can engage from that place. So Yeah, I would say just like formal and informal practices of mindfulness have taken a lot of different shapes and forms over the over the years. It was really freeing for me when I gave myself permission for things to change (laughs) and evolve and not be like, oh, this was my this is my spiritual practice and I have to do it this way. But to think about things as rhythms rather than routines and to know that seasons of life can be six weeks or they can be years. (laughs) And to just give myself the freedom to to shift as and to listen to myself and to trust myself that this is the practice that's going to work for me right now. And when it's no longer working. I find a new one and I move to a new one and that's okay. I also do overs with my kids. Christina Roberts, to your point of, I find myself mid-sentence, right? I don't always have it happen in real time. Oh, I'm triggered. Let's take care of myself. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to try to connect, (laughs) but instead it's I'm halfway through a sentence and I'm like, wait, stop. This is not how I want to be engaging with you right now. I need a moment. Let me go breathe and let's do a do-over. Why don't you go calm your body too? (laughs) Or give me a moment to calm my body and then I can help you calm your body and be this resource for you. And then we can come together and we can connect. So the power of do-overs is something that we use a lot in my house. I love that. I really appreciate you sharing. I've been reading Young Pueblo a lot lately. And he's a poet and he talks a lot about practices. And I think one of the things that that we can do as people is we build up these walls around us for safety, right? When we experience pain, one of the things that we do is we build up these walls, the pain of parenting, the pain of caretaking, and we use these walls to navigate. But what ends up happening is we run out of spaciousness. And One of the things that I like is that it's only when we delve inward that we begin to dissolve those walls and we have spaciousness to examine instead of reacting blindly to a circumstance or a situation, we can choose how we want to respond because we are going inward. And so I really appreciate you naming the different practices that you have. And I'm wondering how holy indifference plays into your caretaking my understanding of Ignatian indifference is not, and holy indifference is not like apathy, but it's really just like holding things lightly and not becoming excessively attached to any of these good things that we have or hard things that we have because, and really recognizing that they all are gift. And the moment we try to grasp 
or crave or cling to something, we're no longer receiving it in the correct sort of posture of indifference. So how does that come into play? Well, (laughs) within the context of parenting, there are so many little ways and big ways. And I think that in the culture of parenting right now, right, there is a lot of messaging around cultivating a particular kind of experience for your children and giving them all of the opportunities you can, particularly if you are of the social location, such as like a white, middle-class, educated, heteronormative family structure, right? That feeds into this desire to just like really cultivate your the experience of your children and to set them up for success and and to build their resume so that they can get into all of these things. And I think that holding holding all of that with this sense of holy indifference or Ignatian indifference is allowing your children to have the freedom to say and to listen to them and to notice what is emerging within them of who they are, right? Where, what are their interests? What are their skills? Where are they struggling? What are, the, what are they still needing to learn? How do they best learn? What kind of, what are their love languages? How are they connecting with you? And so I think that when we, when I get too wrapped up into the messages I receive about what motherhood means or caring for children means and connect my own sense of the value of my own character or my own sense of worth, if I connect that to my children and how they're performing, (laughs) that I can get into this place of really trying to control things in a way that holy indifference invites me to uh, hold it much more lightly and, and with gratitude and to really see it as gift and to see the uniqueness of their own unfolding story in all of the challenges and struggles and pain that they may experience because I'm not (laughs) puppeteering their life, to be able to sit with them in that and to claim the holiness of that and the sacredness of the learning and the journey that they're on and that I'm there as a companion with them and they're not alone in it. That's a totally different posture than than what I so often receive as the dominant narrative. Wow, there's so much richness in this conversation, Nikki. We could just go on for another hour. Nikki, if people want to be in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, thank you, Christina. If You can check out my website, NikkiNelson.com. And then I also am work at the Siena Retreat Center in Racine, Wisconsin. So feel free to check out the programs offered there at SienaRetreatCenter.org. And I will also offer some sort of like handout for that you can be available in the show notes. We talked about specific practices like the examine and contemplative practices, but also like for me, parenting itself and the experience of parenting can be a spiritual practice. And the handout will have like the four keys to parenting as, or caretaking as a spiritual practice uh, that you can continue to sit with and reflect on should you be interested in that. That sounds wonderful. Thank you. So we will have that in the show notes. And Nikki, it was a delight having you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And now is the part of our podcast where we talk about what we are into this week. So what are we into, friends? 
think I'm into something that is very fun and a little bit mean. So, so for those who don't know, my husband and I personally, we're like 11 inches apart. I am 5'3", he's 6'2", he's just so much bigger. And th- sometimes I really enjoy scaring him. And so <laughs> he was like out taking the dog out last night. And I like hid behind the island in the kitchen for a long time because he would not show up. And then I just came out from around it, like on my hands and knees. And he acted like he had just seen a leprechaun. Like his hands started waving and he, the children are in bed. And so he's it was worth it it was worth every second of waiting and then I ended up just laughing on the floor I could not even get up off the floor so that's fun and it's mean but I really enjoy it I am into Ann Arbor Michigan so we recently took a trip to Canada as a family and had an overnight in Ann Arbor and I had been years ago and It is delightful. One of the fun things about Ann Arbor is they have these little fairy doors throughout the downtown area. And our family had just finished watching the Tinkerbell series. And so we found one of the fairy doors, which was super fun. Zingerman's Deli. It's this whole chain of these wonderful restaurants that we visited. And so just a fun downtown area. So I am very much into Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm into something that is not as fun as the two of you, but is quite necessary. As you can probably tell from my voice, I'm a little bit under the weather. My children have been trying for about three weeks to get me sick and it finally happened. And so I am into rest. I've been taking naps and I've been doing just everything I can to just rest my body. I think that's, it's been wonderful. It's been what I need. It's what's going to help me get over this, this sickness that has attached itself to my body. That's great. I thought you were going to say you're into apple cider vinegar, which has also been something that you've been doing this week, but <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, make it a great week. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter, where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week.